Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. The NBA season has gotten underway, and we're nearing the 10-game mark for most teams, but the college basketball season has also just gotten underway, so it's time to start looking ahead to the 2020 draft. So I'm here today with the hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you doing? Doing well. Happy that uh, college basketball is back up and running. Get to do one of my uh, favorite things, which is the draft guide and scouting reports here. Um, But unfortunately, college drafts are still awful at what they do. Well, that's always fun way to start. (laughs) And so we're today going to go through sort of a preliminary list of the top 30, which will be turned into a piece by Tyler later on this week, so definitely be on the lookout for that on the hashtag basketball website. Let's get started with the player who both of us think are the favorite for the number one overall pick at the moment. I don't have a solid top 30 list in the way that Tyler does, but I do have some sort of idea of how I think this draft is going to shake out and The player that both of us believe is the number one player on the board right now, Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. He's a power wing who's got serious potential on both sides of the ball. Tyler, what have you seen from Anthony so far in the young college season? So Anthony Edwards, and he already has an NBA-ready body. Um, He's super athletic. He has the mindset of modern NBA wings where he's either looking to knock down threes or get to the rim. Um, So that, that... integration into the NBA game will be pretty seamless for him. Um, and he's he's a great athlete, so I know there'll be people who disagree and think Wiseman should be number one here. I always just tend to lean towards wings um, because I think that's kind of where the modern NBA is and is go- going to continue to go. And I think Edwards fits perfectly into that. Um, I mean, he's not a great playmaker because I mean, he's always been the best guy on the floor, so he's always been relied upon to score. So once he gets to that next level, I think he's going to be an awesome offensive option um, and can easily initiate the offense for whatever team takes him. I completely agree with you. I think what we've seen in the NBA over the past decade or so is that the most necessary piece to a championship team is the two-way wing player who can initiate offense with the ball in their hands, who can maybe play off ball a little bit, but mostly just be able to take over an offense, get points on their own, sort of regardless of what the defense throws at them, be able to score in those ISO one-on-one situations. I mean, really, if you're looking at the past decade, pretty much the only championship team that didn't either have one of those top flight guys or an Andre Iguodala to shut down one of those top flight guys was the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. And ultimately in this draft that doesn't have a super obvious number one overall pick a la Zion Williamson last year, I think that the highest ceiling for a number one overall pick this year could be what you could see out of Anthony Edwards if he can sort of develop those on-ball skills. Yeah, and if if he can prove to be even just like an above average passer, um, he he could be a really incredible player and separate himself from the rest of the field here. I'm sure he kind of forces shots at times, but again, that's because he's always the best player on the floor for his team. So he kind of feels like he has to force the issue at times. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do going forward and if he can kind of get his teammates involved a little more. But he, he's just a really, really exciting 
player. It's interesting for me that he's at Georgia, given the sort of exercise of viewing him as a draft prospect for this upcoming year. I genuinely wonder if it's better or worse for his development to be at Georgia as opposed to, say, more of a traditional top three kind of school in terms of prospect play. If you'd gone to maybe Duke or Kentucky, maybe the quality of his teammates overall would be a little better, and maybe that would encourage him to pass and play make a little bit more. But on the flip side, he's going to have the ball in his hands pretty much all the time at Georgia, where... He might not have been the only guy with the ball in his hands if he'd gone to Duke or Kentucky, or certainly if he'd gone to UNC, as we will get to when we get to another player on this list. Yeah, and I don't think it's that big of an issue. Um, And his coach is Tom Crane, who's developed some really good wings in Dwayne Wade and Victor Oladipo. So I I think that was a big draw for Edwards, and he kind of gets to show off what he can do and instead of joining some of these powerhouse teams like a Kentucky or a Duke or a UNC he kind of gets to be the guy and go up against them and we'll see, in the SEC we'll see him go up against Florida and Kentucky who are two really good teams this year so I'm excited to see what he can do against those um, and if he can kind of get his teammates involved more so opponents can't just double or triple team him the entire game so, and I, I think a big part of the draw was that he got to be the guy at a big time power five uh, school and play under a coach who's developed a lot of NBA pros. So you're a little bit higher on the next player on your list than I am. You have James Wiseman at Memphis as number two on your list. So if you could just sort of talk me through why you have him this high up on your board. I'm not that much lower on him than you are, but I sort of would be curious to hear your thoughts first, given that we do have a bit of a different take on him. Yeah, so coming into the season, you know, all the hype was that this guy was a clear and away number one guy. If you read and heard about it from a number of places, and I I was skeptical. It's like, all right, another athletic seven-footer. Like who you know who doesn't play great through physicality and you know it doesn't have a reliable jumper. Will he really fit into the modern NBA? And then I saw him play, and this dude is a freak. Um, I, he's super mobile. He moves like a wing. Um, he's like DeAndre, prime DeAndre Jordan, but with skill. Um, and he can run the floor in transition. He can guard essentially anyone on the floor. Um, I still have concerns about whether or not he can kind of step away from the hoop and knock down jumpers, but he was playing with an intensity that I didn't think he had and attacked the rim at will and was just impossible to stop. He's a physical specimen. Um, it looks like he may be suspended for the rest of the year, which would really suck because I'd like to see more of him, especially against some of the, uh, the, the, the tougher opponents that they have coming up. Um, but he, he really, really impressed me in his first couple games with how hard he played and how he was just impossible to stop when he went to the rim. So I can't really speak to the NCAA suspension in terms of knowing where it's going to go, whether he's actually going to be suspended for the entire season. I can say that based on what I've read about it so far, that the primary issue goes back to Penny Hardaway helping Wiseman's family out back in 2008. Uh, that was a typo. It's tw- tw- twenty eighteen. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's slightly better, yeah. certainly. But but still, before Hardaway was uh, 
was considered a coach. Well, you know, yet another bright spot in the resume of the NCAA. Yeah. But moving on from that, just because I don't want to spend the rest of the podcast yelling about the almost organized crime level of (laughs) ridiculousness that the NCAA conveys on a yearly basis. But moving back to the actual basketball side of things with Wiseman, I do think that I would probably still have him in the top three if I were to do my own big board, maybe as low as five. I don't think I'd have him any lower than that. I totally agree with you in terms of the defensive potential. He could be an absolute monster on that end of the floor. He has all the athletic tools you would ever need to be a defensive player of the year kind of candidate at the center position. It kind of comes down to effort there, and that certainly looked a lot better recently than it had earlier in his high school career. The concern for me with Wiseman is that I think he views his offensive skill set as a lot more developed than it is. I think he thinks he's a lot better dribbler than he is. I think he believes that he's a lot better of a shooter than he is. And after having watched Willie Cauley-Stein think he was a lot more developed of an offensive player than he actually was over the past few seasons, I'm worried that Wiseman has a bit of the same kind of genes in him as a big man that thinks that he's more of an offensive hub when in reality he's going to be much better off if he's more of a pick-and-roll dive man and occasional spot-up shooter. Yeah, so when I I was watching Wiseman, I got more of kind of like a Marvin Bagley vibe from him. Um, And I guess in college, Bagley wasn't a very good shooter and kind of forced the issue at times. But Wiseman's shot selection was almost entirely around the rim. I'm not even sure we really saw him step out for any jumpers. and he, he seemed like he was really buying into the offense and what Penny Hardaway wanted him to do. And that was really just kind of be a role man and dominate the paint. So I, I think that he's willing to buy into, and I think he's a, going to be a very coachable player. Um, but I, I, I agree that I don't think his jumper is very good. Um, and his ball handling is meh. For a guy his size, I think it's really impressive, and his mobility is definitely a huge plus, especially when he runs in transition. But uh, he, I, I definitely agree that he, he's not at the point where he can take guys off the dribble in like the half court offense. And just to clarify, I was more concerned about his over ball dominance with his high school tape. Certainly, the early returns at Memphis have been super positive so far in terms of his coachability and his willingness to fit into an offense. And I think if I hadn't seen that early on, and obviously, you know, it's (laughs) super early in the season, but I think if I hadn't seen that in the first couple of games, I would have considered having him outside of a theoretical top five that I would put together. But he's definitely in the upper echelon of prospects in this draft. And another guy who's definitely in the upper echelon of prospects in this draft the guy that I would probably have at number two if I were putting together a big board. Cole Anthony scored 30 points in his first game for the University of North Carolina, and I don't think he's going to score 30 points every game, but he's definitely got that kind of spark as a lead ball handler that every team in the NBA needs that kind of a top-flight level creator out of one of their guard positions at least, but you seem to be a little bit lower on Anthony than I am. So, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from him so far? I wouldn't. Say, I'm not sure I'd go as far as low on him. I mean, I 
I, I'm a huge fan of him. Um, my just kind of concerns come more with, I, I think he can be a little streaky scorer. Um, I mean, that first game was so much fun to watch. And then in the second game, he cooled off a little. I, I mean, hard not to after dropping 30 in your college debut. Um, but I, I think he's a really good player, and it seems kind of like a cop-out. But I, I see a lot of Kobe White in him, and you know how high I was on Kobe White last year. But he's he is really good at creating his, his own shot, um, just the, the way he can kind of manipulate the ball and create space for himself is really impressive and not something you see from any freshman. Um, and he's a very good passer, but a lot of the times his decision-making um, can be kind of a struggle. So I'm, I'm hoping to see more of him reining that in and being more controlled and taking taking better care of the ball because it's obvious that he can make the highlight pass. Um, but, you know, the issue is that he doesn't always need to. And in that UNC Roy Williams offense, it's going to be high pace. They're going to run a lot. So um, him taking care of the ball and really controlling that offense, um, once he does that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I had him up to two or one by the end of the year. It's interesting regarding his polish and his playmaking. I think there are kind of two archetypes at the moment for lead guards. You have your Steph Curry, Damian Lillard kind of crazy, crazy scorer and good enough passer. And then, you know, you have your decent to good scorer, but absolutely elite level passer. And maybe that's more sort of Trey Young or John Morant in recent drafts. And I think that Anthony's definitely more in the former camp than the latter camp. And so really at that point, as long as he just sort of hits the requisite threshold of doesn't make stupid passes, I don't think he needs to, and I don't think he ever will sort of have the kind of crazy level elite vision, but he just needs to be good enough to allow his passing to sort of fit in with the rest of his skill set. Yeah, no, that that makes complete sense, and it it's really it really just comes down to his decision making. Um, I, he he doesn't need to be Pete Maravich out there. He just needs to kind of take care of the ball and just just make the right read. And I I think that will come as he you know continues to mature and develop and gets more reps. Um, but that that was just kind of that's one of my early early season concerns with him is on whether or not he's going to be able to kind of let the game come to him and not try and force the issue. I think the other thing, just for me, given that I was debating between him and Anthony Edwards at number one in my non-existent big board, and ultimately for me, I just think that Edwards has a higher ceiling, and I don't think that has anything to do, maybe not nothing to do with, but certainly more to do with their positional versatility than it has to do with their particular skill set yeah absolutely i i i think edwards has all-star level ceiling and um just kind of based on anthony's uh current skill set and i'm not sure that he can routinely get there someone else who certainly has a very very high ceiling but also a very very low floor RJ Hampton is the player that you have at number four on your preliminary big board, and he is not actually starting his season in the past couple of days because he's not playing college basketball at all this season. 
yeah, and it's super selfish of these guys to go overseas and get paid for what they do instead of playing here and letting me watch them for free. Unbelievable. Obviously, they just don't believe in the love of the game because they're not letting the NCAA make money off their rights and images. Want to make money, make a living, try and achieve your dream. <laughs> Please, get off my lawn. Uh, no, so, I, I like RJ Hampton a lot. I think he's I think he's kind of a similar mold to Edwards, um, where he kind of already has an NBA-ready body, can attack the rim with ease, great length, great athleticism. Um, I do really worry about if he's going to be able to develop a consistent jumper. Um, and we saw his shooting and scoring inefficiencies um, when they came over here for a couple preseason games. Um, that That's my really my biggest concern with him. But overall, he's got a great foundation um, to be an, an NBA wing for a while. Another player who decided to take their talents overseas, although not for the first time in their young basketball career, LaMelo Ball is currently number five on your preliminary big board, and he is maybe the best playmaker in this class. He has exceptional vision, which he's had as his primary skill, basically going back to the very beginning of the time where we viewed him as a prospect, but... If you were to think of the characteristics that describe the ball family on the basketball court, exceptional playmaking would be number one on that list. Shooting would probably be the next thing that people think of, although obviously the positive connotation of that is a little bit more of a negative connotation at this point, and that's definitely the case with Lamelo. He's been incredibly inaccurate, one of the least accurate shooters in the NBL so far to start the season down there. And he's also a pretty much non-existent defender, but I don't really expect that to change. Really the important part and important factor in where LaMelo Ball's career goes from here is just if he can develop more consistency with that outside shot. Yeah, this is one of the guys that I struggled the most with and, you know, admittedly may have been influenced the most with by other rankings. Um, He's obviously very skilled he's an incredible passer we've seen in the past him be a a pretty good shooter um and he's not shy about shooting and has all the confidence in the world but it's kind of been a rough start so i i wouldn't be surprised if he ends up falling quite a bit for me as the season goes goes on but his his physicality and athleticism are really low um and and i kind of have a feeling that that's part of what's attributed to his shooting struggles where he's just kind of getting worn out and maybe tired from facing all these actual men um in an actual basketball league and that's kind of just taking his legs away but he's really going to need to work on that if if he wants to continue to develop his jumper and be that early first round pick um like a lot of people expect him to be at number six you have denny abdija out of israel and he's currently playing for maccabee tel aviv getting bench minutes for them he has a lot of primary ball handler skills as a six eight wing type which obviously is an archetype that is super useful in the modern nba 
But the thing about Denny is that he takes a lot of shots and doesn't make a whole lot of them. And I think he could be a really solid player if he can be sort of an average efficiency scorer. But right now, that jump shot really isn't there. And he's been getting some Luka Doncic comparisons, which I think are honestly ridiculous. He's got maybe similar-ish playmaking skills, but Doncic has had that step back three since the moment he entered the NBA, and Avdija really needs to up his accuracy before he can be even in the same kind of echelon as Doncic on that front. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I kind of get the Doncic, the, 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 the Luka comparison, and it's, it's outrageous. Luka's, uh, miles and miles ahead of where Avdija is, but, I know a big part of that is Luca played is like four or five times the amount of minute professional minutes that Adia has at this point. Um, so I, I get the comparison. I don't think it's accurate though. Um, and he, he's a pretty skilled playmaker. He sees the floor really well, but he'll, he will go through stretches where he'll be six of eight from three one game and then one of 12 the next. And, I would, I mean, his shooting struggles and inconsistency is a concern, but I think that's kind of something that, you know, most players are kind of able to iron out as they continue to develop. The bigger concern I would have is kind of his just overall attitude. Um, I think he's super hard on himself and can kind of get on teammates, not in a good way. Um, so he'll kind of, Part of that is just being a young kid, um, but he'll definitely need to work on kind of maturing so he doesn't isolate himself from the rest of the locker room. Up next, Scotty Lewis playing for the University of Florida. He's just really fun to root for. He tries ridiculously hard on the defensive end. He communicates more on the defensive end for a young wing player than anyone I think I've ever seen, honestly. Really, the question for him is just, can he develop his shot and his overall offensive game enough to keep his incredible defensive work ethic and talents on the floor? Yeah, so I think these next two guys we're going to talk about are two of my favorites to watch, at least early on here. Um, Lewis is a freak athlete, and he's so much fun to watch on defense. He rotates well. He has extremely active hands. He's looking to jump passing lanes. He's when you see someone, or when he's on the weak side and someone's posting up, you can see him start drooling, looking for that weak side block. Um, his his shooting just kind of needs to develop more. His his form looks good. It's consistent. It's tight. It's quick. Um, he just kind of needs to figure out how to continuously knock down shots, and I I think that's something that will come um, as he just continues his development. I, I don't think he'll ever be a prolific shooter, but just being able to be reliable or counted on um, f- from outside will or c- could easily jump him into the top five because he's showing defensive awareness and capabilities that very few freshmen at his position ever do. Something that Scotty Lewis at number seven and the guy we have at number eight have in common is I think they're both going to be around the NBA for a very long time. And the question is just whether that's as a role player or maybe as a starter type with potentially slightly higher upside than that. And that's how I want to transition to number eight, Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky. 
he can score. He can really, really score at all three levels. And the question for me with Maxi is just, can he develop his passing and his playmaking a little bit? Because that, I think, is going to be the difference for me between whether he's a high-level role player or whether he's someone who can be a starter as a combo guard type. He's so much fun to watch, and he just plays with the biggest smile on his face. It's just that that Michigan State game was a ton of fun. Um, and his first step is lightning quick. Uh, he can get to the rim in a flash. He can knock down threes. Um, he can be kind of streaky, though. And that, that first game where he lit it up, you know, was a good night. So we'll, we'll see how he adjusts when things aren't going too well. But he, he definitely needs to improve on finding cutters or, or even just figuring out how to make that little dump-off pass to the big man when he attacks the rim, because right now he's really only looking uh, to score for himself, which when things are going well and he's knocking down shots isn't a bad thing, but if he gets cold, um, it will be pretty rough to watch. But his, his activity and quickness are really evident and really fun to watch on both ends of the floor. Next up, you have Jeremiah Robinson Earl out of Villanova at number 9. And this is interesting to me. He's someone who I don't think a lot of draft evaluators have inside of the lottery. He's a very big, physical, imposing foreman who is better on the perimeter on defense than you would think, given his size. But I'm curious, why do you have him all the way up at number nine? Um, I just think he's he's a really smart player. Um, he's never in the wrong spot. He doesn't really make mistakes. He's got a just a really well-rounded game, um, and he's not a he's not a great athlete, but he's got a really polished post game. Um, he's a good defender. He's not a great shot blocker, but he's a good rim protector because he's in the right place. He's making the right rotation, and and uh, eventually, I I think he'll be able to develop an outside shot um, and be more consistent from out there. His shooting or right right now he's not a great outside shooter, but his shooting form is pretty solid, and doesn't really have any glaring issues with it. So the more he does it, the more he plays, the better coaching he gets. Um, I I think that he'll be able to be a real stretch four in the NBA. I feel like this is sort of the tagline for basically every college player who isn't a forty percent shooter. But really, it does just ultimately come down to shooting as the swing skill for him. Because if he can shoot well enough to be a stretch four, he's got a long NBA career ahead of him. But if he doesn't, then he might quickly run out of ways to contribute that'll be enough to keep him on the floor consistently. Yeah, and I I, I think he'll be able to carve out a role for himself. Um, And if he can't, develop that shot that role will be a lot less but just based on his overall basketball IQ and the way he sees the floor and positions himself um that there are always roles for those guys for a long time in the NBA it just might not be you know a long time starter or an important role player somebody else who has a similar path in many ways to NBA minutes Trenton Watford out of LSU you have that number 10 on your board He's a combo-ish forward type. He's got good size at 6'9". He's got great shooting touch for that size. 
really the question with him is just can he show enough polish in the rest of his offensive game outside of his shooting touch to be more than sort of a role player type? I'm not sure he can, but I mean, he's his footwork on offense is really impressive. I mean, it's kind of rare to see guys that are built like him move and drive the ball the way he does. Um, and he's very agile. Um, it's kind of shocking when you see him bust out some spin moves or euro steps. Um, but my my bigger concern with him is on the defensive end. I mean, that same agility on the offense just kind of disappears on defense. Um, he looks slow going lateral, and when he gets pulled out to the perimeter or switched onto a guard, he really struggles. So I, I, I think he'll need to, and I, I'm not sure if that's just a focus thing um, or an effort thing, but it's odd that his his footwork doesn't doesn't translate to both ends of the floor. Next up, someone who might be in line for a much bigger role, given the concerns around James Wiseman's eligibility at Memphis. You have DJ Jeffries at number 11 on your big board. What are your thoughts on him so far this year? So he's kind of a similar mold to um, Edwards and um, RJ Hampton, where he's a freak athlete, NBA-ready body. big thing with Jeffries is just he really needs to show um, more more consistent outside shooting. He's gone through flashes, and we've seen, a, seen him knock down a couple threes early on here, but right now, um, his entire offense is kind of predicated on his athleticism and his off-ball movement. He's a, he's a very good cutter and is always looking to attack the rim, but in the NBA, you know, it's Guys are smarter. Guys are more aware, so that'll be harder to do. So he'll he'll definitely need to be able to 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 be more consistent with his shot. But just the way he moves and is always active on both ends of the floor is really impressive. I mean, he was a high a high rank recruit for a reason, and he has the NBA body and skill set and mindset where he can guard almost any position on the floor. Next up, someone who's been on draft radars for a very long time, but who was more of a top five level prospect earlier on in high school, has slipped a little bit since then. Josh Green out of Australia and now playing for the University of Arizona. He's similar to a lot of the wing players in this draft in that he's a great athlete, but He's a little bit different in the sense that he's been more of a primary playmaker throughout his earlier high school career, and granted, a lot of wing guys do that just because they're by far the best players on their high school team, but Josh Green was kind of viewed more as a playmaker type maybe earlier on and has settled into more of a wing type of role. He's certainly going to be off-ball more this year, given the guy that you have right behind him on your big board, but... Really, for Josh Green, is it just going to be that he needs to get the jump shot together, and if he does, he's going to play, and if he doesn't, he's going to wash out pretty quickly? Because that's kind of how it seems like it is to me. I I think he's good enough of a playmaker where he'll he'll be able to carve out a role. I mean, obviously, if he develops that jumper, that role will be exponentially bigger. Um, and he's he he just see, he sees the floor really well and is almost unselfish to a fault at times. So. Now that he really won't be the primary ball handler, it will be really fascinating to see um, 
to see how he how he fits into that and how he adjusts to that because in the NBA he it'd be pretty unlikely that he would be the primary ball handler. So I, I'm excited to see how he does with being more off ball. Um, but yeah, it's it like a lot of these guys. It, it kind of cut with him a big component is if he can be a consistent shooter. You know, don't you don't have to be lights out, but you have to be reliable. And if he can do that, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to climb in the rankings because he he's just a really well-rounded player at both ends. I will say, sort of pushing back on my own take from earlier, that I do see a lot of Sean Livingston, sort of later career Sean Livingston, in Josh Green. And Livingston was able to be effective without an outside jump shot, in part because he had a crazy accurate mid-range jumper, but also in large part because he was an incredibly smart cutter off-ball. And if Josh Green can develop that kind of chemistry with the guy that we have at number 13 on our list, he could really push himself up draft boards that way just by showing himself to be someone who can actually get a decent number of points per game just by cutting off the ball. And speaking of which, let's go to the player who will have the ball in his hands quite a bit for Arizona this coming season. You have Nico Mannion at 13th on your board, and he's the kind of player that I think has a very clearly defined role as a backup point guard at the next level. He's someone who makes the right decision with the ball in his hands. He's competent basically across the board on the offensive end, but really the question for him is going to be, can he keep up with guys athletically at the NBA level? Yeah, and I'm not sure he can, but and he's a really effective straight line driver. He's good at getting to his spot. Um, he, he just kind of seems like he doesn't have a great feel for the game where he'll force force the issue, he'll force passes, he'll see driving lanes that aren't necessarily there um, and lose the ball. His ball handling kind of needs to tighten up, but he is a really good foundation for a modern point guard. He's got a pretty good shot from outside. He's he's a big dude and is pretty intelligent on the defensive end, jumping passing lanes and cut, cutting guys off. So if he can just improve his feel for the game and ability to control the offense um it, it'll, it'll do wonders for him obviously at the point guard position but that, that that's my biggest concern on him just calming down and letting the game come to him and not forcing the issue so much because he he had a tendency to turn the ball over way too much and the last player that you have in your projected lottery, and apologies in advance if I butcher this name, Ochai Agbaji out of Kansas. He's a 3 and D wing type, but he hasn't really gotten the three quite down yet. His shot form looks good, but he's making him the low 30s percentage-wise, and he's going to need to get that at least into the mid-30s if he's going to be drafted in the lottery range. So with Abaji, I get a lot of Josh Okogi vibes. Um, he's super high energy, uh, and we saw him kind of come on as a freshman last year at Kansas. Um, he plays super hard at both ends of the floor. He's a good cutter, great athlete. He will hunt down every rebound. He will die for every loose ball. Um, he kind of plays with a reckless abandon that it's hard not to fall in love with. Um, with that said, 
his shot is very unreliable. Um, he'll he'll go through a couple stretches where he knocks down a couple, but he he's kind of a break glass in case of emergency shooter at this point. Um, but on the defensive end, I love his effort. I love how hard he plays. He's a good athlete, and guys like that always have a spot in the NBA. Um, you know, it might not be a starter, um, but perimeter defenders and energy guys are always needed and I, I think he's a great fit for that and has the capabilities to develop into not a great shooter, not a good shooter, but maybe just slightly below average, hopefully average shooter from outside. And if he can do that, um he'll be a lot of fun. Honestly, I think that as long as you've got the defensive side of it down well enough, you just need to be an average shooter to be an effective three and D player. It's almost more about volume at that point than it is about actual shooting accuracy. If you're shooting 35% on eight attempts per game, you need to be guarded out there. If you're shooting 45% on two attempts per game, defenses don't need to worry about you as much. So even if he's not necessarily going to get that accuracy out of the low to mid 30s, I think it's more about just increasing his volume at this point more than anything else. Yeah, and it's not a he's not a case where he's scared to take them either, which is a big issue for a lot of guys where they get in, get in their own head and they're panic about whether or not they're going to make it, which always screws up their their shooting form. And he's got all the confidence in the world. Um, and that, that, that alone makes him a threat just because defenses have to pay attention because if they let him knock down a couple wide open ones, their coach is not going to be pleased. All right, let's go through the rest of your projected first round, a little bit more lightning round style, starting with number 15, Jalen Smith out of Maryland. So last year, Jalen Smith was kind of projected as a potential one-and-done guy. Um, I was pretty underwhelmed by him, um, but he's a great athlete, good size. He's put on a bunch of muscle this year and is kind of controlling the post a little better. He's a great rebounder at both ends and can kind of essentially guard almost any position on the floor because of his length um he, he has essentially no shooting ability though um if he's not under the hoop or setting a screen he looks kind of lost on offense so i'm kind of continuing to be underwhelmed and haven't seen much improvement in that aspect of his game this year but hopefully if he can show a little just more comfort out there on the offensive end he he, he could be a, a mid to late first round pick Next up, number 16, Jaden McDaniels. He has the ridiculously skinny wing, but really good scorer starter kit. And the question is whether he can figure enough of the rest of the game out to be an effective NBA player. Yeah, so Jaden McDaniels is the younger brother of former San Diego State wing, Jalen McDaniels, and they look the exact same. They have the same haircut. They have super long arms, and it really threw me off first time I saw him at Washington. Um, I mean, his arms go on forever, um, but he's a much better scorer off the dribble and a shooter than his brother was. His length makes him a good rebounder and shot contester. The concerns are he's just super skinny, and I'm not sure he has the strength to really guard anyone in the post. And when he doesn't have the ball, he gets pretty stagnant on offense, but his scoring ability and length alone are very enticing. Next up, Defali Dante, the Oregon big man. Great shot blocker, rebounder, just kind of the prototypical center mold. Um, he's 
very mobile, finishes at the rim, um, big, strong guy, just super raw, doesn't really have any feel for the game, uh, doesn't have really any shot, but we see these guys have extended NBA careers where they're good rim protectors and good rebounders just because they work their butt off on both ends of the floor, and that's kind of the mold and uh, sense I'm getting from Dante. Next up, Killian Hayes, who's been playing decently well against grown men, unlike a lot of these college players, but he's got a tendency to throw the ball away a lot, and his jump shot is very much a work in progress. Yeah, he's even though he's kind of careless with the ball at times, he's still a really impressive passer. He sees the floor really well and is very comfortable running the pick and roll. Um, he's super creative and something we've seen more and more out of um, primary ball handlers in the NBA is the tendency to whip one-handed passes straight out of the dribble, which he's proving that he uh, that he's already pretty proficient at. Um, he just he doesn't have really much of a jumper at all. He's pretty undisciplined on defense and just isn't a great athlete. So not sure if he'll really be able to keep up with guys if he has a big role in the NBA. Next up, Samuel Williamson out of Louisville at number nineteen. Uh, long wing, uh, good shooter, good rebounder, um, has a nice feel for the game. He's just not very athletic and doesn't do much in playmaking sense, but his, his shooting and just kind of basketball intelligence will or sh- should give him a, a, a role in the NBA. It'll be minimal probably, but he he's a smart player and those guys always tend to stick around. Next up, Isaiah Stewart, big man out of Washington. He's a high-energy player, and he's slowly developing a jump shot, but really the questions for him are going to be almost exclusively on the defensive end. Yeah, and he's, he's another one of these really raw big men who are who's a very good athlete, and he's built like a tank. Um, he's a little undersized, but he works really hard. He runs the floor well, just... It, it it doesn't help that he's playing zone at Washington. Um, he's just a little undisciplined and doesn't have great defensive awareness yet, but has a good foundation where if he gets put into the right coaching staff, where they, they, they could turn him into a, a nice energy big man off the bench. Next up, you have Khalil Whitney out of Kentucky. He's a ridiculous athlete who has one of the highest ceilings for any wing player in this class, but he just needs a lot more polish on the offensive end. So this is a guy I'm, I'm really hoping rises and shows more on offense because I, I liked flashes of what I've seen. He's on defense. He's really impressive. Great athlete, long defender, um, makes the right rotation, sees the floor well, anticipates where the ball is going. He has the potential to be a good shooter. He has a solid form and foundation. But on offense, he you, you just forget that he's out on the floor. So he just really needs to work on being more involved and actually being part of the offense instead of just sitting in the corner or rotating to the weak side. Next up, Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State. He is an incredibly careful playmaker. He has historically low assist-to-turnover ratio numbers. He pretty much never turns the ball over. But I think he also shot fewer than 10 shots around the rim last year or something ridiculous like that. 
he basically just does not have any game driving to the rim at all. Yeah, and a big part of that is that he's just a super skinny guy. Um, he needs to add muscle. I'm not sure how much he'll be able to add because he kind of has a slender frame and he doesn't have wide wide shoulders that we've seen from guys that end up putting on a bunch of muscle. Um, but he's such an impressive playmaker and a really reliable shooter from outside. He's got NBA range already. Um, besides his strength and ability to get to the rim, I really worry about his ability to shoot off the dribble. He's a good shooter, but he kind of has more of a push shot that's released more out in front of his face. So opponents are more easily able to contest and block it, especially if he's trying to pull up off the dribble. Next up, you have Teo Maladon at 23, which was surprising to me. I think he's definitely more of a lottery level of pick, but speedy playmaker out of France who has not really been as aggressive of a shooter as you might like given his track record as a top-level prospect. Yeah, so I, I could be way off of Mal Maladon right now. Um wouldn't be surprised if he ends up rising. Um, he's a really impressive playmaker. He's the floor well, solid defender. He just looks like he's scared to score. Um, he's not a good shooter. When he attacks the rim, he'll, I've seen him pass out of open layups for, to try and get an assist instead. And I just kind of worry about if he's even going to be a threat on, on the offensive end in the NBA. Um, with that said, he's, his, Playmaking ability is really impressive and probably one of the better um, playmakers of the point guards in this draft. Next up, Vernon Carey out of Duke. He was a top-ranked high school recruit, but he gives me very strong Cliff Alexander vibes, and I'm worried that he's the kind of player who can dominate in high school but doesn't really have the kind of advanced skill set to be an impact player beyond that level. Yeah, so I thought he was going to get absolutely bullied against Kansas, but I was pretty impressed that he kind of held his own um, in the paint. He's got a good scoring mentality, kind of always, that's what he looks to do. Solid shot blocker. Um, we saw him knock down a couple wide open threes. Um, I, I don't think he would be able to knock down really contested threes. I don't think he's that good of a shooter, but being a pick-and-pop player, um, I don't think is out of the question. He's He has almost no defensive awareness. Um, I'm not sure if it was just a case of him being attached to his guy. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but the center for, for Kansas to try and eliminate him from getting offensive rebounds. But he, and he just missed a bunch of rotations or was just super late. So I'm concerned that he doesn't necessarily have the basketball IQ that will kind of take him to the next level. Next up, Ashton Higgins out of Kentucky. One of the best point-of-attack defenders in the draft, and the question for him is just, can he do enough on the other end of the floor? Yeah, and he's such an impressive defender. He's super active, um, jumps passing lanes, picks guys' pockets. Uh, just He can't really shoot still, and his decision-making is iffy. Uh, with that said, we he looked... Um, like his driving ability has improved. He got to the rim uh, much better in their their first game this year than he did all of last season. So if he can kind of do that, um, I I don't think he'd be a bad backup point guard who as a uh, primary defender. 
Next up, Devon Dotson out of Kansas. He's a solid guard overall, but he's also 6'2 and really skinny, and he's going to need to play pretty much exclusively at the 1 in the NBA, and I just don't think he's a good enough playmaker to do that at the moment. He's he's a solid defender, though. I mean, he's tiny, but he's so fast and has really quick hands where if he forces a turnover, he's running in transition, and he's a surprisingly good finisher at the rim, and even when he when he doesn't finish, he draws a lot of fouls down there because he's pretty crafty. Uh, my bigger concern, I, on defense, he's going to get absolutely abused when bigger wings or forwards switch onto him, but he kind of can't needs to really rein in his speed because even in the half court offense he he just makes a ton of turnovers right now and is really forcing the issue at times. Next up, Cassius Winston out of Michigan State. He's an incredible scorer. He's going to be in competition for player of the year pretty much all year. The thing I'm worried about with him honestly is maybe just that I've been a bit burned by the Frank Mason experience the last couple of years in Sacramento. The question I have is just can he adjust to being a role player in the NBA? Because if he can, I think he'll be a solid scoring 6th, 7th, 8th man for a really long time. But if he continues to act like a star player when he makes it to the next level, which Frank Mason did at times, I think he could find his way out of the league sooner than I would certainly like. I, I think he'll be able to adjust pretty easily. Um, and he's he's a, another one of these veteran, mature point guards um, that we see go late in the first round or second round, and then they're in the league for six to ten years and always a contributing backup guy off the bench, and that's kind of where I see Winston at. I mean, he's pretty small, not a good athlete, but he's just a really smart player and is surprisingly good at creating his own shot off the dribble. Um, I, I think he'll be a really good backup in the NBA for, for quite some time. Next up, Charles Bassey, the big man out of Western Kentucky. So I had Bassey as like a second-round talent last year if he would have come out. Um, he's great athlete, works really hard every second he's on the floor, and is great at finishing at the rim. Uh, he just is kind of turnover-prone, doesn't take care of the ball well, and has zero shooting ability. So I'm not sure if, you know, Guys like him are a dime a dozen, so wasting, or I shouldn't say wasting, but using a first-round pick on him might not be the way a lot of teams decide to go, but he, he definitely has an NBA-ready body and NBA-ready motor. Next up, Treacherous Oshawa out of Memphis. He's got good size, he's got good defensive tools, but he's still very raw on the offensive end, and that's really going to be the question with him this college season, is what we can see out of him on that end. Yeah, so I mean, he was one of the top recruits, another top recruit that Memphis got this year, and he, guy's a great athlete, uh, good rebounder, can get to the rim pretty much at will, but that's all he can kind of do on offense. He's not great at finish. He doesn't have great touch around the rim, so even though he can get there, he's not great at finishing. And his defensive awareness needs a ton of work. And he's just not a good shooter, but kind of thinks he is. So I'm pretty hesitant on how good he could actually be. He's got a great foundation, but he's really going to need to rein it in and just improve his awareness on both ends of the floor. Next up. And closing out the first round at number 30, Trey Jones out of Duke. 
He's a stellar defensive guard. He has pretty much any tool you would want out of a point guard, except for the fact that he will be one of the worst shooters in the NBA next season if he cannot seriously pick it up somehow this season at Duke. And ultimately, his ability to be even a regularly below-average shooter as opposed to an atrocious shooter is going to spell the difference between a long NBA career for him and a career spent probably mostly overseas. Yeah, I was really excited to see him in their first game and then immediately disappointed that his shot hadn't really come along at all um, because he's probably the best defensive point guard in the country. He's a super smart player, um, absolute nightmare for opponents to deal with, and a really good playmaker, but his, his shooting just isn't there, which is really frustrating. And if, if he could just be even just a 30 to 35% shooter, he'd probably be a first-round lock, but he, he just needs to try and develop to you know that Ricky Rubio level of shooting where he, every now and then he can make an important shot, but right now... It's it, it's iffy if he's ever going to get there. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here? Um, no. Just keep just keep an eye out for the the big board coming out on hashtagbasketball.com this week, and just a couple other guys to keep an eye on that will probably rise into the top thirty, or they could. Uh, Aaron Wiggins out of Maryland, Jordan Nwora out of Louisville, and Ao Dosunmo um, out of Illinois. Uh, really talented, kind of long guys who do a little bit of everything at both ends of the floor. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at tmetcalf11, and you can find his written work on the hashtag basketball website. Be sure to be on the lookout for his top 30 list, which should be going up on the website in a little more formal form than this podcast later this week. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my written work on the hashtag basketball website. I will have a piece coming out early this week on one of the King's recent free agent signings. So be sure to give that a look. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.